My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. John was standing with two of his disciples, and as he watched Jesus walk by, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard what he said and followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following him and said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they went and saw where Jesus was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter, was one of the two who heard John and followed Jesus. He first found his own brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated Christ. Then he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You will be called Cephas which is translated Peter. The Gospel of the Lord. One of the unique experiences of being a priest is wearing the Roman collar out in public. A couple of weeks ago, two priest friends and I happened to be out for breakfast, and some anonymous fellow diners very generously picked up the check, while another patron stopped us as we walked out the door to ask us if we wanted to know why he hated the Catholic Church. Truth be told, not really. But when we wear our clerical clothing out in public, that's part of what's to be expected. Any and everything from the unnecessary kindness to the unexpected animosity. Being a a sign of being dedicated to Jesus Christ and his priesthood and his church. And to be accessible to all those various types of reactions. One recent interaction in particular was very memorable though. I was at an airport waiting to board a plane And this guy came up and asked if I was a Catholic priest, and he just said, Father, my life is such a mess. Could you give me a blessing? And so many thoughts and reactions immediately went through my mind. You can never be sure how open and ready someone is to share stuff, how much they want to share. But having two hours till my plane took off, I took a chance and put the book I was reading aside and just said, Do you want to sit down and talk about what's going on? And within moments, he was just spilling his guts about how he was raised Catholic, but hadn't been to church in a very long time. He even missed Christmas this year. He was living with his girlfriend. They had found out she was pregnant. They weren't planning on getting married. They didn't want to be parents, but he knew abortion was, as he said, didn't feel right. As my mind raced with all that was just laid out there, I couldn't shake that 
his initial request was for a blessing. It would have been a lot easier had I just extended my hand, said a spontaneous prayer, and made the sign of the cross. But the reality was my new friend was looking for more than that. And that's why he spontaneously poured out this mess he was experiencing to a complete stranger that more than likely, unless God's providence intercedes again, he'll never meet again. He saw a priest and was reaching out to God which is always, always a beautiful and precious and vulnerable and sacred thing, whether it's in the midst of an airplane terminal in St. Louis, Missouri, or here in this beautiful church where we gather together for Sunday Mass. While our purpose for coming to Mass is ultimately to offer God the worship that he's owed, which is why we respond, it's right and just that we are here. We're offering the holy sacrifice of the Mass. At the same time, God, who is all good and all loving, he always turns his ear to us who are reaching out to him, hearing our cries, our concerns, our prayers. But how many of us really want to hear what God has to say to us? It's an important thing to kind of reflect on. When we're praying, do we believe that God loves and cares for us and desires our ultimate good, that he's listening to us, and that he actually speaks to us? Do we really want to hear what God has to say to us? Today's scriptures give us some incredible examples to reflect on. The first reading gives us part of the background to one of the greatest prophets in Israel named Samuel, whom God will direct to call and anoint Israel's greatest of kings, King David. But this is way before that moment in history. At this point, Samuel was adopted by the priest Eli after being dedicated by his mother to serve the Lord. And Samuel is just starting to grow in knowledge and understanding of the ways of the Lord. And he's keeping the night watch with the Ark of the Covenant in the temple, sleeping near the holiest of holy places on earth. And then Samuel hears his name being called, and immediately he goes and wakes up Eli three times. There's something comforting to me that these great men who were revered throughout Judeo-Christian history didn't immediately catch that this was a miraculous moment that God was audibly speaking to Samuel. Here Samuel was doing what was right and just, honoring the Lord, serving the Lord, offering his sacrifices and worship and prayers to the Lord. But he nor the priest Eli were prepared or even expecting to hear God speaking back to them. In the gospel, we see a similar thing. St. Andrew and St. John, who were following John the Baptist at that time, are directed to behold the Lamb of God. John is basically pointing them to go to Jesus. And as they encounter Jesus, the incarnation of the Word of God, Jesus turns to them and asks, what are you looking for? And they're kind of unprepared to answer. God himself is speaking to them, asking a direct question, what are you looking for? And they didn't have an answer. Jesus, the word of God, speaks to us today and asks the same question, what are you looking for? 
And if you're like me, it's, it's similar to the apostles. I'm a bit tongue-tied. Where do I even start? Immediately, lists start flying through my mind. I try to prioritize what's most urgent, what's most pressing, the troubling things, the, the crises, the prayer requests that people have entrusted me with. With this question being asked, you sense that this is a pivotal moment, like the genie from the lamp has been unleashed, ready to grant wishes. And I think that that's what so often colors and distorts our vision of prayer. Because this isn't the Jesus magic show, where abracadabra, here's a miracle, and then poof, he disappears. Samuel and the first disciples show us God desires a relationship with his people. Samuel hears his name being called a fourth time, being uttered by God, which when you think about it, how much more gentle and intimate and beautiful moment of encounter that is. By that one word, Samuel, God is communicating that Samuel is seen, he's known, He's loved by the creator of all things, the king of the universe, the Lord God Almighty. All of Samuel's worship, all of those sacrifices and prayers have been heard. And now the Lord God is prepared to speak back to him. And the only response is for him to listen. The disciples' non-answer of Jesus' question with the question, and um, where are you staying? They're met with Jesus, the word of God, offering them an invitation, come and see, which they do. Here and now, in this very time and space, the Lord God calls you by name. You are seen, you are loved, you are known, you're precious to him. Those are undeniable facts that are written on every page of scripture. Those truths are as real and present as bread and wine become the very body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, which we dare to take and eat in the Eucharist. For us, the only response, though, is to have the humility of Samuel and the obedience of the disciples who know who is God and who isn't, and to listen to him and to follow him. That's what I tried to share with that young man in our brief few moments in that airport terminal, the fact that he approached me, the fact that he knew what a mess things were, I didn't have to explain to him that he had made a lot of poor decisions, that living with his girlfriend, having premarital sex is wrong, that contemplating abortion is a terrible, horrific thing. He knew those things. He knew his life was a mess. And he knew he was distancing himself further and further from God with each of these decisions. This is why I told him that God was using me in this encounter to remind him that he's loved, that God desires his fullness and has plans for him. A plan for his flourishing where he didn't need a blessing, but could in fact become a blessing. But he needs to start listening to all the ways that God was already speaking to him. He'd been ignoring them and hoped that the mess would simply disappear. And I told him, you're one confession away, you're one absolution away from all that guilt, all that shame, all that you're carrying to be gone. 
But that doesn't mean the consequences of those things are gone. God's offering you that free, complete, unmerited gift of mercy, but you have to be prepared to listen and receive it. Meaning, are you prepared to move out? Support your girlfriend. Do everything to ensure that your son or daughter is loved and protected. If not by you two, then by couples out there desperately longing for a child of their own. Because I'll give you a blessing, but not to bless this mess or bless continued bad decisions and mistakes, but to remind you of who you are, that God knows you by name. He has a divine calling on your life and is blessing you to hear these truths and is calling you to listen and to respond to them. And that's true for each of us as well. Each of these men in the scriptures was far from perfect. They were broken men who had struggles and setbacks and fears. They all had sins that needed repenting and temptations that needed to be confronted. Like us in prayer, they called out to God. And what makes them memorable and notable is that when he spoke back, they listened and they followed. What will be our story?